fuck a duck. <laughs> Speechless, with nothing to say. We're doing a drinking game. Oh, fuck. <laughs> You're listening to Sad No. <laughs> and I was full scale at 22, and I was like, yup, cradle snatching, Auckland Zoo missing their cougar. You're in the hot seat. Fire round. If someone doesn't want to be with you, why would you want to be with them? Welcome back to another episode of Sass with Cass. All right, guys, welcome back to Sass with Cass. Welcome back to Sass with Cass. Welcome back to Sass with Cass team. Before we jump into this really exciting episode, I would like to say a massive, massive thank you to today's sponsor who makes this podcast happen, Bondi Sands. I have been using Bondi like no tomorrow recently during the silly season a fresh tan just nothing beats it nothing makes me feel better my current go-to's are the bondi sands one hour express range which has the foam and the face mist and i use that alongside the tan eraser gel which works in literally five minutes it's insane i have never ever ever used a better tan remover than that gel guys seriously like i don't even need to scrub i don't know how they do it bondi just provides me with the silkiest smoothest most genuine bronze sun-kissed skin it is a deep long lasting and hydrated tan it's unbeatable it's unmatched they have an extensive range to keep you going all summer long and you can shop these exclusively at farmers new zealand Today I am joined by Caitlin Crisp, who is not only a dear friend, my flatmate, birthday girl, but she's also a trailblazer in fashion. She is the creator, owner, CEO of Caitlin Crisp, a fashion brand that has grown from strength to strength over the last few years. Not only is she stocked in some of the biggest stores, bump shoulders with the biggest fashion names, she has also starred on Project Runway New Zealand and is set to appear, or was set to appear, at New Zealand Fashion Week. She single-handedly has managed to build her entire empire from the ground up. Caitlin, you are someone who brings so much light into every situation. I don't think I've ever seen you without a smile on your face. Your energy and work ethic is contagious and unmatched. And so it's a total honour to have you on Sass with Cass. Cute. Welcome. Thank you. That so was excited. so lovely. What an intro. <laughs> I normally offer people, I'm like, I can just follow you around and say that if you'd like. <laughs> like you walk into any party and I could just be there like, I am joined. <laughs> I feel like there would be some people who would love that. Yeah. That you, you need that. Yeah, yeah, I'm available. I love it. This is my intro. <laughs> so Caitlin and I are actually in the studio. This is the first time I've been in the studio since COVID. Oh, that's I know. exciting. Normally it's just me at home with my little mic surviving the lockdown. Uh, so take us, take me back. Christchurch. Yes. You grew up there. Yes. What was that like? Take me back to growing up in Christchurch and that whole landscape. I loved it. Um, I think I'm incredibly lucky that I grew up kind of across the South Island. So Mm. my family roots are very entrenched there. My grandparents used to live six months in Twizel and then six months in Christchurch and Mm. we've always had a batch in the Marlborough Sound so it was incredibly outdoorsy Mm. uh definitely not you wouldn't I wouldn't say glamorous Mm. um yeah we were very hands-on action water sports outside dirt bikes type situation but amazing I had an incredible childhood I'm very lucky what was your family dynamic like down there my brother and I I must admit I 
very different Mm. to say the least, incredibly different. He is an intellect, I'm a creative. Not to say that he's not creative and I'm not smart, but those are just the way we're inclined. So our brains work very differently. My parents and grandparents have all been in healthcare mostly. So that was always very interesting. I always tell the story of you know, my 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 mum and dad have worked full time my whole life. I've had nannies and things growing up, so they have incredible work ethic. But growing up with pharmacists as parents, some people pop peas at Christmas time. You know, mm-hmm. you help mum pop peas for family dinner. Mum, I don't even know if I can say this, but I'm going to say it. So mum and dad would have us popping Panadols and Nurofens because it gets so busy at Christmas time that they'd pop they'd get us popping pills. So growing up, I did not know the difference between popping peas and popping pills. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. But all in all, we're very close. All in all, yeah, we are very close. It's good. Going back to that time and thinking about your time outdoors and your family and maybe feeling a little bit different, was that part of your internal dialogue in terms of did you always have this push and this drive to pursue bigger things or was Auckland always on the horizon did that impact how you kind of spoke to yourself yeah it's interesting that you say that because even as you started phrasing the question it reminded me that even though I loved my childhood and I loved Christchurch there was actually always something that pulled me to Auckland I did my first unaccompanied minor sort of junior trip to Auckland when I think I was about 10 or 11 to come and visit my auntie and the first place I wanted to go randomly was the Trillise Cooper Kids store and I honestly think that that was where my love of fashion and I guess Auckland isn't a massive city in the scheme of things but it is in New Zealand and since then I always wanted to be here so as much as I loved Christchurch I knew that the opportunity for me was here and I actually ended up begging my parents to let me go to boarding school here so I've always been so incredibly drawn to Auckland and it was a hundred percent the right decision. It's yeah I, I can really see that one thing I really see in you that you've already touched on that's come from your family is your work ethic and when I think of you I kind of think of this sparkly confidence as well as that drive Tell me, what does ambition mean to you? What what have you learned about being an ambitious person, be, being that kid that always kind of dreamed of more and had that pull to make a bigger thing for yourself? I think something I learned at a very early age, which is an interesting one, and I still don't even know how I would teach this to my own children, but mum always taught me to be kind to everyone, no matter how Mm. someone treats you and how much it hurts you, just be kind to everyone Mm -hmm. because you never know what's going to happen a year later or 10 years later or whatever down the track, that person could be your boss or that person could have skills that you need and then they might be an employee. So people change and so it's so important to always be kind and In turn, the the secret message behind that is if you are good to other people, it's actually beneficial to you because if you are good to other people, other people are going to want to be good to you. And so this is then reflected in my ambition and work ethic because I know and I've always known, even when I've worked for other people, the harder I work, 
the more benefits I will get. So people think, oh, people are so kind and selfless, <laughs> but you can itch. It's not that I would consider myself a selfish person, but in a way it's you're full, giving it comes back full to yourself. Circle. It yes. comes full circle, 100%. Yeah. So I think that is a huge part of where my ambition comes from because I know the harder I work, the better I'll do, the better life my life will be. And I've always been like that. I adore that answer and I'm kind of jumping 10 steps ahead here, but one thing from an outsider perspective that I really find fascinating about you and your brand is the entrenchment of personality and brand. I really feel you come through in your things and your marketing and your photos and your garments and everything. It's, it's, I know it's called Caitlin Crisp, but it really is Caitlin Crisp. Do you feel like that kindness that you were just talking about plays into your incredible network. I really think you're someone who has such a phenomenal network and how has networking given you the opportunity to open some certain or special doors? I think this is a place where I still feel a bit naive. Mm. I always have these moments at work and in the studio where I even will just catch a glimpse of my name on the garment and go, oh, that's so weird. You know, mm. part of it is, oh, that, yeah, I don't know, it's just an incredibly strange feeling to think that someone, or multiple people now, many, many people now, wear my name. Have your name on it. Yeah, yeah that, that's such a good point. they've got my name on it, and it is an inc- it's an incredible feeling. But I even turned to Laura, and, you know, I admire Laura, who's one of um, my staff members who works with me, and I admire her so much, so I, I know that I would personally buy something if she put her name against it but I just feel so honoured that, yeah, people wear mm. things that I've put my name against. Mm. You know, I say to Laura, I'm like, this is so strange. You know, these people don't know who I am and what would make them trust me type thing. But she's always so incredible at reminding me that that's what we've created. We've, mm. we've put me at the forefront of it because I believe in it. It's everything I want to wear and be. And... I'm not a particular, I'm not like an outlier in society. I mean, there's many of me, I connect with a lot of people, mm. I can relate to a lot of people. So if I would want to wear it, so would other people. 100%. I think that really, really up. comes across. No, that's that's a phenomenal answer. I think it really, really comes across. And that word of trust, you know, it's, it's interesting when you think of fashion, when you think of brand, when you think of making money and cons- connecting that to the term trust um and you ask someone people trust which is so it's so rare from an outsider perspective and for those people looking in from you know people around the country to overseas maybe uh, correct me if I'm wrong here but there's something in me like even when I look at your Instagram that kind of gives me an energy of almost overnight success it's some it sort of appears like that you've just popped it's just popped up and it just it is what it is which is totally not the truth I know firsthand how much goes into it what was the defining moment or a catalyst that made you really sit there and go it's my time to start my own brand now this one dates back pretty far because a lot of people don't know that I had a brand before Caitlin Crisp oh wow so yeah I was I've known that this is what I've wanted to do since high school and I got incredibly sick in my final year of high school. I'm really pl- prone to uh, burnout and mm. um, getting quite sick from mm. stress and overworking. So I got glandular fever in my final year of school and moved home early. 
And as I was getting better, something I could do was sew because I absolutely loved sewing already. And I started making clothes for my boyfriend and his friends. And then that got picked up by a store in Dunedin called Slick Willies, who I stock I now. I love Slick Willies. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I stock them now. And the buyer at the time, Will, now lives in Sydney, and I still work with him. So our, our connections and everything tie back so far, which is incredible. But to answer your question, there was no defining moment because I've been working just as hard as it, hard at it now than mm. what I was back then. Mm. It's just been a constant work and there wasn't sort of one day that we had a thousand orders overnight or anything like that. Mm. It's just been slowly and organically growing and growing and growing and growing and that's been steering me in the right direction. Mm. Like a gradual progression almost. Yeah. And so I think for some people when they're just discovering my brand now at where it's at and probably thinking, oh, wow, she's just popped up. Yeah. But it's really been quite a slow, slow burn and a slow process, which I love. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty rewarding. It's cool. In terms of that timeline, how many years has this kind of taken you? When did you sort of find yourself dabbling in it? So I must have been 15 or 16 wow. because I remember... I couldn't open a bank account by myself. So I had to go with my mum and my boyfriend, who I was kind of starting the brand with at the time, and they had to put their names on the bank account or whatever it was. So mm. I, was, I was really young. It's been since then. But even prior to that, when I was at school, I used to make scrunchies and sell them, make bows and sell them, and really excelled in textiles technology classes so I've been working at it since then, but the business side of thing came in maybe when I was about 16, probably. Mm. Mm. What's the biggest misconception you think people have about yourself and or the fashion industry? To split it in two, about myself, I think, but I could be completely wrong, I think people don't see or understand my business sense mm. and understand that a huge part of what I do is a business and I have grown incredibly slowly and as much as I have incredible support behind me I also have an incredible business I think some people potentially think that it's not just me and there's something else going on yeah. when it's really quite I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly transparent about the business side of things yes so I think that's the biggest misconception about me is, you know, I'm going for a, trying to get a mortgage at the moment that isn't trying to go for lending money. And I just feel really underestimated in a mm. lot of ways. And I, yeah, that's where it's been mm. really hitting home lately. So that is misconception about me. I think misconception about the, fashion industry is a lot around greenwashing and sustainability we've mm. had these chats before so I know I've touched on this but my stance on being made in New Zealand and sustainability around fashion is that if you were trying to better the planet so not just minimize your impact but actually better the planet you would not be in the fashion industry mm. no one needs new clothes we, we really don't either learn to make them yourself or 
buy secondhand or yeah, just you don't you don't mm. need new clothes. However, I think from a business perspective, it is incredible to be made in New Zealand because if you are going to buy new, I would rather put my money in the hands of another New Zealander and create jobs for other New Zealanders other than take New Zealanders' money and then send it offshore straight away. And mm. then you just... I always really visualise this and I think, wow, we're really just shooting money offshore mm. with all these brands that are being made offshore. So the, the, the sense of satisfaction and reward and connection I get with people is the fact that I can drive down the road and see them and they're so grateful that I'm paying my bills on time and that's helping them send their kids through school and creating jobs for people. That's, yeah, a huge misconception, I think. Mm. We are not a sustainable industry, in my view. Uh, no, 100%. Mm. And the, the point that you touched on about being, like, no one needs new clothes is um, quite humbling, in a sense. And, yeah, incredibly relevant. Is it hard? I mean, this is me being kind of naive and shooting off the cuff here. Is it much harder to be made in New Zealand compared to... Um, outsourcing overseas, I'm sure there's a massive difference in terms of price margin. I think it de it depends on what angle you're looking at it from. I know the New Zealand industry inside and out, so I really love it. Mm. But it means that you have to break it down into very small steps. You've mm. got to design it somewhere. Then you've potentially got to pattern make it somewhere else, sample it somewhere else then you've got to source bulk fabric somewhere else, get that sent somewhere else, mm. then get it made somewhere else and send it. It's, there is so many steps when you're making in New Zealand, right. whereas um, the machinery that's available, the resources, the skills available overseas are second to, not second to none, but, you know, you don't have that here. Yeah. Um, we don't have the ability to do everything, make everything. So you are a bit limited here. We can't mm. really use shearing elastic and certain things. But if you were to be made offshore, you kind of can just really send a design to mm. one place and they take it from that one design to hundreds of garments. Right. So it's just different. It's just different and it's just what you know. Mm. Yeah. How long is the timeline from when you design something to when it comes out? This has been impacted a lot by COVID. We were just talking about this today because, as you know, it's incredibly hard to change the way people do things. Mm. And until now, buyers all around the world have had shorter lead times in terms of all the brands show their ranges at the same time and then they go, this will deliver all at the same time. But our time frames have now gone from potentially four months to around six mm. just because we do have to get our fabric from offshore and it gets shipped here and those shipping times are taking so much longer, there's huge delays and miscommunications and everything. So the process we usually have to allow for six months for a collection. Mm. But if I was to do a rerun of something or just one little thing, we could probably do it in two to four weeks. Oh, so wow. yeah, it really ranges, really ranges. I mean, COVID would have played a major part in that, I'm sure. hundred percent. Yeah. But that's, we had a, we had a huge win in the beginning stages with COVID because when internationally, a lot of countries were going into lockdown, 
we were open. So mm. that is how I picked up a lot of our stockists because they weren't able to, or that, you know, other designers were cancelling orders on them. Right. So they didn't have stock. They had nothing new, but there was a lot of money circulating in New Zealand because these women and men who would usually travel overseas for potentially even six months of the year weren't able to travel. So they were just spending their money on here, going out, Mm. luxury goods, their homes, all those sorts of things. So I know that sales and luxury cars went up, Mm. um, you know, even homes, all that kind of thing. And we were in line with that because we were made here. We could make it. We could make something new and we could deliver on time. So it was really, people say, oh, how's COVID impacted sales? And we're actually incredibly lucky because we could sell and we could create and we could produce Mm. and we could deliver. I mean, I'm interested in this concept of the kind of fashion culture in New Zealand compared to overseas do you feel like being in New Zealand and touching on what you were just talking about the fact that we were open and are we kind of like a microclimate in terms of fashion or do the styles that work here work overseas also do you feel a divide between what's selling over there and what's selling here I think the only divide really comes with seasons because mm. we're different hemispheres. I think you could tie in New Zealand and Australia quite well, but internationally you have to work quite differently because you have to deliver according to their seasons. I had a conversation with an international sales rep recently because it's definitely a pathway we're looking at and she made a really good point with this in terms of what you touch on with I guess, acceptance, Mm. if I'm saying it right with, you know, how well do we accept stuff in New Zealand compared to internationally, et cetera, et cetera. And it's quite common, if you look at many other examples of New Zealand designers, that you usually have to make it big overseas and then come home Mm. to be truly successful in New Zealand. So if you think of you know, even Georgia Ellis and Paris Georgia and Maggie Marilyn and a whole lot of others that are a few, like quite a bit ahead of me, but great examples to use. You often have to seek acceptance overseas to then get acceptance in New Zealand. Mm. But something quite special that's happened with me is that I've been able to gain that trust and acceptance mm. here um, before you know, test the waters here before going international. So I think typically, yes, we're quite hard to please here because we can shop online and Mm. that is also accessible. So why would you buy something from little old New Zealand that someone might not know about? (laughs) But I've had the flip side of that sword, which is quite cool. Yeah, you absolutely have. Going back to what you were talking about earlier, I kind of have a theory, you can agree or disagree with it, but my personal opinion is that all super successful creatives wear two hats. So you have your creativity hat and then you have your business hat and you have to get really good at chopping and changing between the two. In my opinion, the closer the split is to 50% of both, the more notability or success the creative will have. And I say that because I think there's a whole bunch of people who make really amazing things that never get seen. And you've got to be able to 
change that persona and pull that resource out of you to get your stuff out there. You've mentioned a lot about people would be surprised at the split between how much is business versus creative. Do you agree what I've just with what I've just said? And what is your split like personally? Do you balance creative flow versus being the, the boss, the CEO? How do you kind of do that? I definitely agree with your opinion. I share in the opinion, but I've also read an incredibly good book in my opinion, mm. it's, I think it's a great book called The E-Myth mm. that breaks that down and pretty much says the whole way through, it's okay if you can only do a very small part of your dream. Mm. If you've got a dream and you're actually only able to do a very small part of that, find a way to bring people on board who can do the rest. The rest. Yeah. And... That's exactly what I've done. Mm. I'm. I need to stop saying lucky. People always say I need to stop saying lucky because I'm hardworking. But I was going to say I'm lucky that I have the skills to do everything in my business. Mm. When I first started, I did all the design, all the pattern making, all the branding, mm. all the selling, all the business side of things. I did absolutely everything. Um, but I'm not lucky. I, I learnt to do all that because mm -hmm. I couldn't afford to pay anyone else to do it. And I just seeked advice where I could and when I could to make it work. But as soon as I could afford to bring someone else on board who was better at marketing than me, I employed Laura. Mm. As soon as I could afford to bring someone on who was better at production than me, I brought Lara on board. Mm. You always need to be seeking out people that can do things better than you otherwise what's the point but in terms of just black and white creativity and business I personally wear both hats which is incredible mm. but if someone is a hundred percent creative which is quite a few people I know mm. they can and will do well if they partner with someone who is potentially just 100% or majority business. Mm. It's just about having the right partnerships. So that's where brands and businesses start in partnership. Whereas I'm lucky to wear both hats so I could just start it myself and have those conversations in my head of what's going to be profitable, what's a good decision, what's in line with my creative goals and, and partnering the two. But on a day-to-day -day basis, I was going to say 50-50, probably a bigger conversation. I reckon majority at the moment it's business. business. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. To those people out there who are the 100% creatives who are looking to partner or that that's really great advice to seek partnership, I completely agree. To those people, I think one of the main struggles with being a creative is actually having the confidence to put your creativity out there and to be fully seen. You're someone who's so great at being fully seen for your work and who you are. Do you have any advice or how do you maintain that confidence as a creative when you're wearing that creative hat to put yourself out there? I think that comes with the full belief in myself now. And the reason I can say that is because I didn't to begin with. To begin with, I had... Okay, I don't want to say no idea, but I had, <laughs> I didn't have as strong an idea of 
what the brand was going to be. Mm. So I definitely made it a lot more sterile to begin with. It was a lot more posed. I only really used models and friends rather than putting it myself out there. But you can quite easily measure engagement. And when I measured our engagement, it was the posts of me and the posts of me not even necessarily wearing the clothes but just doing silly things and showing the behind the scenes that got the most engagement and when people are engaged they'll be watching 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 then they'll see something that they want to buy and they've already subconsciously bought into the brand mm. and as you say trust they've created that trust so that is my biggest piece of advice is that you can have the best idea in the world, like the best product in the world, but unfortunately, if you don't create a brand around it, nobody's going to trust it. Nobody's going to want to buy it because it's just a thing. Mm. It's not a feeling. People are emotional buyers, not logical buyers, mm. unless you're buying soap. But even then, you will go and buy the soap that smells the best, that makes you feel the best. So you really have to make people feel something, regardless of whether that's you or a cute puppy. Does that make sense? <laughs> completely, completely, completely. <laughs> it's 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 100% true. I mean, to counter that incredible statement, why do you think people trust you? I think because I've just committed to being completely honest. I'm a very honest, open person, mm. very, I don't want to say simple, but I've been through some incredibly complex things in my life personally that it's put an incredible amount of perspective or given me an incredible amount of perspective that there is just absolutely no space in my life for negativity mm. and people are drawn to that as they should be and as I hope they do because mm. all these people might be going through something and if I can shine a little light in their feed on Instagram or as a parcel that they receive then that's great I think 100%. it's just that relentless literally relentless positivity you are relentlessly positive um that's a fantastic way to describe you. It's a question I have a little bit later, but one thing I was going to ask you is, do you struggle to maintain your energy levels and how do you keep your energy so high? Because to me, you're such an energetic person. It's it's like you're always on. Is that something that you've struggled with or is it something, are you just sort of like have this resource and this hub of shiny energy? Because you totally have that. I have a good answer for this one. Okay. I like this one. And it's because <laughs> I like this one. Yeah, I do. I do. And I think this is another key to put out there to people is, and people say it often, is find your why. But the reason you've got to find your why is because you can't just do something and have it be successful just because you want to. Mm. If you just want something... To me personally, I don't think that's enough. It needs to work. So for me, I have put my name against my brand and everything that I then do day to day, this is something that's really hit home recently, 
is everything I do day to day reflects on that brand. So if I'm out in town, if I'm walking the street and I accidentally look at someone the wrong way and they know who I am, they're not going to buy from me. Hmm. Or if I'm out and do something that contradicts the image, I guess, I don't want to say image, but contradicts what people, I've led people to believe or have gained that trust, I guess is a better one, then that's going to throw them off completely. So I think the way I keep it going is because A, I want to be positive, but B, I need to be positive. And I guess C, I need for all of that to work every day because that's my livelihood and now a few other girls' livelihoods depend on it too. I mean, I, mm. I pay people now. It, it, it has to work. Mm. I don't just want it and I'm not going to get someone to just hand me a whole lot of money if it doesn't work. I don't have that. Mm. So it needs to work. Mm. Does that make sense? Completely. It's, it's quite a high standard to hold on yourself and I'm sure there's definitely pressure that comes with it. But you have that positivity, you have that energy and that makes complete sense. Looking at it, the... The highs of what you do in some way could be quite obvious. So we could look at the beautiful studio. We could look at the beautiful clothes. We could look at the things that work. What is the hardest part about your job or one of your challenges most recently and how are you working to overcome it? This is a really funny one, <laughs> but I even had it today. Is, And even though I do have a business mind to me, a random little one I have that I really struggle with is accepting people's money. Oh, wow. So, for example, a beautiful mother and daughter came in today and was shopping and, you know, bought a, a top and shorts. And I love styling people. I don't want to say selling because I genuinely love seeing people in my clothes mm. and people coming in and having that experience. But when it comes to the money side of things when I'm there myself and selling myself, I find it incredibly hard. I just want to <laughs> give, give everything. everything. <laughs> but you do, you obviously get over that because it's just business and you've yeah. got to do it. But it's this weird guilt I feel around disbelief mm. that I think it's this mm. little naive cuteness in me that's still in disbelief that people would want to spend their money mm. on my product. But oh, it's that's also, such a sweet answer. Yeah, it's a very special feeling, but it is also, I, it is a, it's a really strange guilt and I hate feeling guilty because, you know, yeah. I would never want to do anything to make myself feel guilty. But it's a weird, it's such a weird feeling. I don't even know how to explain it. <laughs> that's, that's really sweet. I understand that. I mean, you put so much work in. Um, so yeah, I get what you're saying. Uh, what is one thing that designing clothing and doing what you do has done for you that you didn't expect would happen? Tying on from my last answer, it's definitely connecting with people. I'm such an extrovert that my energy and passion for life really comes from other people and what I do allows me to connect with so many people and I didn't click 
I guess when I first started this, I thought it was going to be really lonely because mm. I was starting something by myself. I wasn't going into a workplace every day where there were a whole lot of people or anything like that. But what it has ended up giving me is, yeah, a huge amount of just love and connection and relationships with everyone from my suppliers who have been in this industry for 30, 40, potentially even 50 plus years to girls that don't even know if they want to study fashion yet but are thinking about it. It's just, yeah, connections with people. Mm. I'm interested to briefly ask you, you were on Project Runway. Mm -hmm. Did that impact your journey? Did that open any doors or was that more just an experience for you? A bit of both. I think the audience that came with Project Runway isn't necessarily who buy my clothes. Mm. It might be a percentage of it, but not a huge amount so. Two things happened in that same year. I was on Project Runway and then I debuted a collection at Fashion Week mm. and the Fashion Week collection that I presented was so heavily publicised with just all the right people were there and all of the right people posted it mm. that I personally think that, and this isn't something that's necessarily measurable because it both happened in the same year, but I think it could potentially be that that led to the start and success of my label potentially more so than Project Runway. It was that acceptance of the media that were there and people that had a lot more play and power in the fashion industry mm. more so than the market. Mm. So Project Runway was more of a market thing, the people at home, and Fashion Week was our industry. Mm. Speaking briefly about media, do you think social media or digital marketing has played a big part or does play a big part in your sales? Yeah, this is another measurable one. So as I say, back to that Fashion Week uh, presentation we did, we can still see online that a percentage of traffic and sales comes from an article that was written by Grazia about our Fashion Week show in 2018. And still daily, we get traffic from that article. It's insane. Wow. So clearly that worked really well for us. Yeah. And that's something I'd look at advertising through again. But other than that, Instagram is huge for us. I don't know what we'd do. Our, our engagement on Instagram is incredible. I mean, we, we have engagement potentially better than people with 10 times the amount of followers mm. than us, which is... Because it's real. Epic. It's so cool. And yeah. I think people don't keep following someone like us unless they really like what we're doing. So I guess I think that's where that comes from. But yeah, I think both are great. Mm. If they've got the right audience, yeah. What are your kind of five-year goals for yourself and the brand? Where do you see it going? Do you have a end target in sight? My end goal with it all is to get it to a sustainable place that I can step back enough to fulfil all my personal goals. Mm. I think things change depending on 
who you're with and who your friends are and what like where your family's at and all those sorts of things and where I'm at is I feel like I want to have a family and I want to have my own home and all of those things take a lot of time outside of work mm. and I know I've got the ability to do both so I really hope that I can create a brand that's sustainable and enough and the business side of things and with my team that I can have a really good work-life balance for a really long time and I, I hope I'm doing this for as long as I can be creating good designs I mean obviously if I get to a point where for some reason I become out of touch or lose creativity then I don't want to be creating just stuff I don't believe in so I really hope that I'm just doing this for a long time but in terms of scale goals I love where we're at at the moment in business. There's always sweet spots and those sweet spots can come at any time. It might be where you're operating at a level by yourself, but you know, you've hit a real good, like a sweet spot in business. And we, I definitely think have hit that sweet spot about now Mm. and we'll need to grow a little bit more to sustain having another staff member and then hopefully we can ride that sweet spot and then then I can figure out whether we try hit the next one. But I hope to sustain ourselves in one of those sweet spots. Mentioning that sweet spot, is there an aha moment when you get into one? And was there a kind of an aha moment when you really start this, felt this start to pick up, like earlier sweet spots maybe? And what what are those ingredients that go in to bring that harmony? It's a balance. We had goals. We're obviously stocked in retailers. Mm. So I always wanted to lift our direct-to-consumer sales up to meet our retail sales. And we're pretty much 50-50. We're almost 50-50. So to me, measuring that and seeing that was a real aha moment Mm. I was going wow this is great we're getting people directly through to us not just because of stores or whatever this that the next thing um but I think you know when when you're really comfortable you know you're not stressing that rent's going out Mm. you're not stressing about a bill that's coming up um and there will always be those times because we do have to pay for everything in production up front from a then the retailers accepting it and buying it and yeah. that can be stressful but we have created a great relationships and incredible trust with our retailers that that just yeah really has to work on a trust level but yeah there's been a few aha 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 aha, aha moments aha moments yeah. absolutely classic business i feel like yeah you've got the aha and the flow and then it's suddenly meant with like crashing down and then you're back up and that kind of is what it is uh what is your personal Caitlin Crisp tool belt? What are the attributes or the values or the key characteristics about yourself and your personality that you feel let you be this person and do this every day? I am an incredibly good problem solver. Oh, I like that. Yes. So... I can see it in people quite quickly when I become friends with people Mm. or, you know, in relationships and things like that. People who are 
systems people. So when things go wrong, they go, right, let's look back. Where did mm. they go wrong? Let's analyse it. Let's hold this person accountable. Or there's people who go and I guess recognise, and this is me, I don't need to make someone feel bad right now because they probably feel bad enough already. If it is a person's fault, it might not be a person's fault, but regardless, there is no point in dwelling on the problem because if you dwell on the problem, absolutely nothing good's going to happen. You're going to get nothing out of that. So we face problems every single day in our work and I am always looking to the solution. I will never make someone feel bad or anything like that. I'll go, do you have a solution for this? Because mm. it's always good to try and get people into that headspace. But I'll always be 10 steps ahead. And I know, it, and that is not necessarily always a positive. I see it as a positive in business, but in friendships, yeah, this is getting deeper with it, mm. but in friendships it can be incredibly hard because if you've got a friend that isn't like that, I'm always thinking 10 steps ahead. So when I talk to someone about a problem that's come up, they might not even know about the problem yet. So it mm. can be quite overwhelming and they go, hold up, you know, I'm still back here. You've just told me about this problem. I can't get my head around the solution. Whereas if you've got a solutions-focused person, they'll go, yep, cool, great. You know, we're there now. But it, I know that I can be a hard person to be friends with because of it, mm. but it makes me a really good business owner. I like that. Yeah. That's probably what I like about you most in terms of more of our friendship is yeah. I really relate to that. I'm always trying to solve mm. that 10 steps ahead thing. I understand how that could maybe be jarring for more of like an emotionally minded person in that, in that space, mm. but beautiful attribute in terms of business. Mm. Is that something that you connect to an idea of success or how do you personally define success? That and kindness how you treat people because what is the point in being successful I guess a, a way you can measure success is money what is the point in having money if you've got no one to share in that what's the point in having a successful business where you're selling a lot of clothes or product or whatever it is and you've got no friends so I measure it by my friendships with people because if my friends are happy with me then I'm making their happy I'm getting something from that I guess I just measure it by how I'm feeling and if I'm if I'm feeling genuinely happy then I know that I'm doing well because I'm living life with good intentions and making myself and everyone else happy happiness that's the best answer I've had to that question. Yay! <laughs> that was a fantastic answer. If you could go right back to the start, I mean, maybe we're thinking of that girl in Christchurch, maybe we're thinking of you in boarding school, you when you've just come up here, you on Project Runway, when, whenever you want to consider the start. If you were to go back then, what would you tell that girl? What would be the one piece of advice that what you're doing is nothing if it weren't for people. Mm. Because I've definitely been in positions where people have supported me and I've been blind to it. 
because I've been so focused on my business and putting that first and haven't realized that other people have been putting me first and to acknowledge and appreciate that. I don't even know when it clicked and I got out of that. I think it was, yeah, it was definitely probably when my last relationship ended and I realized, wow, actually, I need to check myself here because my business isn't everything. My life is everything and my business is just part of it. Mm. But it would be very, very hard to tell someone who's just starting something that, because you do, you just like, you know what it's like, you commit yourself fully and that's what made it work. I just hate that making it work, you know, you potentially have to sacrifice some other things, but yeah, whatever. Success is a sacrifice, but I, I totally agree that success is sacrifice. Mm. That's something I've been coming up a little bit against this year is I haven't been making that sacrifice. And so the like work or writing or whatever it is hasn't really been happening as much. You do I completely agree. Some a pillar kinda has to fall for it to be replaced by that work or that you know, I or totally agree with that answer. Well, yeah, which sucks when which you're sucks. when you're chasing that feel good feeling. Yeah. Because either way, literally either way, you you have that feeling mm. like you've got that ick in your in your chest and your heart like I can feel it now because you're either giving your all to other people or to something else mm. and therefore not giving it to your work mm. or you're giving it all to your work and nothing to anyone else yeah and nothing to anyone else and one or the other has to happen for and which is usually the work you've got to give it all to your work for your work to take flight for then you to have the space to breathe and step back and make space for other people I know I I totally struggle with that balance personally I mm. you seem pretty good at that balance would you agree or I think it it, it depends on how you measure it because mm. if you if you look at me yeah from the outside looking in I've got an incredibly small but mighty friend group here. I think you have such a big friend group. Really? Yeah, I think you have a huge friend group. Really? Yeah. See, the girls... That I have, like, two friends. No, Lauren. but I'm the same. I'm the same. <laughs> and the other people who, you know, say came around for my birthday and stuff like that, I hardly see. Like, right. I only probably see a handful of times a year or in passing and things mm. like that. But people who I you know, love and talk to and, you know, connect with all the time, I can count on one hand. Mm -hmm. But then I look on the outside and go, oh, wow, I've got, I know of all these other people, of all these friends, and I guess it's that grass is greener thing. Yeah. Yeah, the grass is greener because I do, I absolutely adore the friends I do have and they're such good friends mm. that I would not trade that for a bigger friend group, I mm. guess, but you have like the yeah. best friends. Yeah, Shout I do. Out I have everyone we're talking about. I know, right now, like absolutely. Awesome yeah, I'm very, very lucky with that. I've very had lucky. the absolute pleasure of kind of getting like a little slice of your world, just living in the same house as you. And I'm like, oh god, these people are all just like such great people with such kind hearts. Mm. I think that really circles back to a lot of the things you've spoken about, like kindness and how you treat people, and even that lesson of one piece of advice you'd learn is 
giving more time or, or just gratitude, just those simple statements of actually appreciating those other people in your life mm. is a beautiful message. Um, I'm going to circle us right the way round. Mm-hmm. I think we have... We have like ten minutes left. Oh no! How fast does it what? does that go? Right. Um, so I really wanted to ask you, number one, what your summer fashion essentials are mm-hmm. for silly season, and trend predictions for twenty twenty two. Give it to me. Right. Okay. Summer linen, but learn how to care for it. The amount of emails I get about linen, I how do just you care want for it? to literally scream. <laughs> Iron the effing thing. Like, the amount of people who will wash their linen and go, it's shrunk, mm. just iron it. Right. Linen is an incredible, incredible. it's great, great fabric, but it's very fragile. So as much as it will look shrunk or shriveled a little bit when it comes out of the washing machine, it will, you probably shouldn't put it in the washing machine, just hand wash it, cold and always cold, but iron it out because... Right. It is a flexible fiber and will just iron back out to shape. But yeah, I love linen because yeah, I've dressed, dressed you in linen. Yeah, and the I'm wearing it right now. Yes, I'm wearing Caitlin Crisp linen, guys. <laughs> yeah, so I love our linen mix and match sets and everything like that. You can chuck it over bikinis, but yeah, you can also kind of I wear it out to dinner. Yeah, that white set. Yeah, it's so just good. It's every day. Mm. She's, Caitlin has a shorts and a, like a short sleeve top. To so for. good. Okay, so, so good. Okay, linen. Then, Next year, pink and green for colours. 100%. In, as like injections and just a continuation of tonal dressing. I try to encourage people to buy their staples in white cream and beige and tan. Yes. Because if you mix that up and have sort of white or cream bottoms mm. and then you wear a beige jumper like what I'm wearing – that just looks so chic. So chic, yes. 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 Yeah. Okay. Because you can mix and match. But as long as they're contrasting, you can mix and match your tones. 100%. Amazing. Is that like the advice you'd give someone trying to build this staple wardrobe? 100%. Because by I think, someone, I mean me. Well, well yes, yes. 100%. <laughs> because too many people try to go and, oh, I need to get everything in black, yeah. which is great, which is fine. Some people really suit that. But if you want a wardrobe that's going to work really well together, mm. it's actually pretty harsh to style things with black, mm. especially black and white. Like black and white's incredibly hard to do well, I think. But if you're doing white and beige or white and cream Grey. or white and tan, yeah. it's a lot softer and mm. easier to work together. That would be, yeah, that would be my advice. And I mean, we haven't done a single black coat winter we've gone for beige and plaid and pink and yeah just soft soft though yeah did you um yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah I totally had this problem where I was obsessed with like big statement outfits like Mm. I just wanted like the seat like I have a see-through leopard print mesh dress Hannah's worn it shout out Hannah And, like, that is the kind of thing I was spending money on when I was 21. And now I'm like, oh, my gosh, can we just buy a top that we can wear to work? That's going to go with everything. Which is, yes, yes, yes. Great advice. Okay, so I've written down fashion trends and you're basically going to say yay or nay. Oh, okay. I like this. Yeah, yeah. This is good. Okay. Um, So, tie-dye. Oh, nah. Sorry. No. 
Okay. Ripped denim. Also no. Oversized. Absolutely yes. Yeah, I was going to say that's a bit of you. Yeah, it's a bit of me. Sweatsuits. I'd like to say no, but I'm going to have to say yes. Yeah, I'm, yes. yeah, good. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> Expensive slides. 100%. She's a... Take all my money. Dainty jewellery. Yes. Coloured sunglasses. Look, I, I, like, I own a pair. Yeah, same. But, oh, like, also kind of no, because black's just so classic. Yeah, mm. with you. Crop tops. Yes, hard yes. Cool. Dad sneakers. I can appreciate them. I don't own a pair myself, but would love to find one. Like a new balance? Yeah, so maybe I think I'm just going to have to say yes. Streetwear. Don't know how to define it. <laughs> Streetwear versus chic. What oh, you... definitely chic. Okay. I'm just not cool girl enough, I think, for, like, cool girl streetwear. Yeah. I just think I look like a dick. I used to pull quite a bit of that when I was sort of, like, 18, and it does make you come across like a 17-year-old boy. Um, <laughs> like, it's just a bit just high beast, like a bit yeah, skate yeah. park. Never had a boyfriend. I feel like it's the you, you need to have that personality. You do. Got to, that, I sounded real Jersey when I was out. Personality. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, and I just don't have that. Also, I'm drinking wine on the mic, and I think I got over 900 messages of people being like, we can always tell when you're drinking because you get to the end of the pod and you're like, blah, blah, blah. I was so worried about that before. I was like, sipping <laughs> Same, it back like, here right going, back here. you can't hear me. Hey, look, I have claimed five times that I was going to stop drinking on the podcast. Everyone knows I'm not. <laughs> um, Colour blocking. Nah, I prefer tonal. Yeah, my next one is minimalistic. Minimalistic colour palette, which you've already seen. Yes. Um, pastels. <coughs> we, we'll leave that in. Pastels. <laughs> yes. Puffy sleeves. Oh. It's going to go yes. <laughs> yes. Logo mania. Oh, nah. Nah. <laughs> Bucket hats. I need a lot more sun protect. Like, hats to me are functional and I need a wider brim. Mm. So I'm going to say no? Yes. Okay. Cool. I like, like, Reby's ones. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, small bags. Yes. Yeah. I just own a few. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But I prefer medium. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, low rise or high rise? Oh, how has anyone ever pulled off low rise? I'm a full... Anorexia. Yeah. No, I was going to say that, but I was like, that's so controversial. No, but no, like, no. Only We're going ever, the explicit category like, here. Full, like Paris Hilton yeah. only ever made that work. Mm. Because she was anorexic. Yeah. Yeah, so high rise. High rise. Yep. Um, BBL fashion, which is like Kylie Jenner fashion over. I still don't get it, so I'm going to have to say no. <laughs> Animal print. I feel like that can be done well. Yeah, that's But it yeah. can be done super badly. I agree. Depends yeah. who's doing it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Mesh slash see through. 
again, same as before. Same as before. Yeah. Can be done really well. To round us out, Y2K fashion. What do you mean? Like... 2000s fashion coming back. So, like, the, like, Von Dutch, Frank, football Frank, like, rhinestone kind of... Cass, we have matching Juicy Couture (laughs) flat track suits. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm referring to. So I'm going to have to say yes. (laughs) Okay, yes. (laughs) We're going to... We would... I would say we'd probably both say no, but because we own it, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you for participating in my game. I love that. Yeah, how good. Um, well, it has been an absolute honour to have you on Sass with Cass. To finish us off, where do we find you and what can we expect from you in 2022? Instagram, mm-hmm. main one. We put everything there, um, which is just at Caitlin Crisp. And obviously online, we've done a lot of work on our website. So our website's looking really good, which is just caitlincrisp.com next year a lot we are doing four seasons which no is not excessive because they're four half seasons okay so you'll just see we're yeah we're releasing less more often oh yeah yeah which I like because then you can really focus on things rather Mm. than just releasing sort of 20 styles in a week and Mm. things getting lost mm. we're, we're spreading things out which yeah makes the workload better for me and content better for everyone else can they purchase on Caitlin Crisp yes yeah okay. so CaitlinCrisp.com we've got the whole range there and mm-hmm. then our retailers which are across New Zealand and Australia and you can find a list of stockers online as well. If you prefer to try things on in your area, check that out and you can buy from our retailers, but the whole range is available online. Wonderful. Hey, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Uh, Thank you for listening, everybody. It has been an amazing year. This is our final podcast of 2021. Um, So I will see you. I'm going to come back end of January 2022. Uh, with some really exciting stuff. I'm really excited to just get next year on the... I feel like I haven't even finished this year and I'm like, oh my God, next year's... We're going to be great. So see you then. And as always, thank you so much to Bondi Sands for making Sass with Cass possible today. You guys are the best. I love you so much. Shop them at Farmers exclusively. Pick them up from anywhere. Just do it. They're your summer go-to tan. I have used them since I was 16. I'm telling you right now, they are fishes. Thank you, Bondi. And thank you, Caitlin. Thank you. Bye. Bye.